Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, Welcome. It's good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff. We begin a new series today, week one. The new series is called Balance, and uh, it's a series about money, to which some of you may say, oh, Pastor Brandon, you drew the short straw. Um, Is Pastor Aaron upset with you? Uh, You must not be living right. Actually, uh, no, well, Pastor Aaron might be upset with me, but I actually asked for this message and ex- excited to share it with you. I uh, want to recognize, I'm always mindful of different folks who are tuning in from those who are seasoned Christ followers. You've been at it for a long time, this, this journey of following Jesus, all the way to those on the other end of the spectrum who may say, I, I'm not a Christ follower, but, but I have questions, and then a whole host of people in between. My prayer is that somehow the Holy Spirit would interact with something uh, that I say today that would help you take your next step along the journey. Uh, How many people know those who do not go to church? uh, And the reason they say they they don't go to church is this. All they want to talk about is money and all they want is money. Uh, So. Hopefully you were informed somehow or you, you gained it through our social media, our communication that we're going to talk about money for the next four weeks, both, both Aaron and I. Um, those, there are some more people uh, tuning in and um, a, a few, few groups of people that I want to recognize. The, the first group is this, those you've attended church for a while. And uh, maybe you come from a church where money was abused. You saw it mishandled. You saw it taught in a way that was wonky and weird, wasn't really even scriptural. And um, it, uh, it hurt. Uh, in fact, for some of you, it blew you out of a, a kind of away from church and maybe derailed you on your faith journey for weeks, maybe months, maybe even years. And um, I, I'm with you. I understand it. I've been around the church long enough. I could share some of my own horror stories of, of money that was, was mishandled, uh, misappropriated, and, and all, all the way to just, frankly, charlatans in, in the church. And, I, and I've been around the church long enough, friends, where I, I'm, I'm not always. I've had the wool pulled over my eyes. I probably will again. But the older I get, the longer I follow Jesus, um, I'm able to sniff out uh, a, a charlatan pretty quick. And I'm just not going to hang around a church that is, is going to mishandle money and abuse Christ's followers. And so for those of you who went through something like that, let me just say this. As a pastor, one of your pastors, a pastor in the church worldwide, I'm sorry you went through that. I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, for, for the pain. In fact, the more you pulled back the layers and the more truth that came out, the more painful it was for you. And I'm sorry. Uh, There are those who, uh, another group of people, you've given faithfully for a long time, and it it is a joy for you. It is a pleasure for you to give. There are those who've never really even heard a balanced biblical teaching on on money. There are those uh, who today, you're actually as the kind of the dawn of this new year, this is one of your New Year's resolutions, is to actually begin to give. You've maybe had this conviction for a long time, but like 2021 is the year I'm going to begin this journey of generosity and giving 
with Jesus. There are those, another group of people, there are those who have developed, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a certain amount of time and you've kind of developed your own maybe doctrine or theology about how God views money. And it, and it, <laughs> it may not be entirely scriptural, <laughs> Old Testament or New Testament, but it kind of fits your comfort level. And uh, maybe who you need God to be for your finances. Friends, listen, I get it. I understand and I've gone through all kinds of iterations of, of understanding generosity and, and giving um, when, when it comes to the Lord, spiritual giving, all of that. Uh, and and I, um, there's a couple of things I just want you to know as, as we launch into the series. Uh, from Pastor Aaron's heart, our leadership team, we want you to know this. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Pastor Brandon, are you sure? Are, are you sure the, you know, you know, the church doesn't need my money? Listen, friends, if we were going to do a shakedown of the church, we would have done it way. 2020 was rough on all of us, right? I'm not saying that. But if we were going to somehow manipulate people into giving, we would have done it months ago during the pandemic. We are not be here, here because we want something from you. We want something for you. And the reason we can say that is because God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. So what I believe I'm going to do today is demonstrate, uh, you know, from scripture, from actually one story, a parable in the Bible, that God's view of money may not necessarily be our view of money. And it's certainly not the world's view of money. A couple of reasons why we're not here. Again, number one, we're not here because God needs your money. Think about that just for a second. Do you really think that God Somehow the pandemic, heaven's hard up for money, right? They're not real flush. The pandemic is really rough on the kingdom of God <laughs> and God needs your money. And yet, to which I think all of us would say, okay, you got me there, Pastor Brandon, God doesn't need my money. And yet there is this beautiful invitation over and over in scripture to us to trust God with our resources. And so if he doesn't need our money and yet there's still an invitation, it must mean he's after something else. Perhaps could it be that he wants something for us? So we're not here because God needs your money. And we're not here because whether you believe this or not, hopefully you will by the time we're done today or by the time we're done with the series, we're not here because the church needs your money. For those of you who are new, in fact, you may uh, notice that we don't pass the plate any longer in our, our services. Some of that is COVID friendly as a matter of safety, but frankly, I love it because it kind of takes that, that, that stigma off the table. We, we, we invite people to give online. We put giving kiosks in the back and we trust the Holy Spirit to continue to turn you into uh, a steward, to, to turn you into, make you look more and more like Jesus, who is the ultimate giver anyway. Let's talk about you for a second. There's something I think I know about each one of us. Something I think I know about you that um, maybe your greatest regret in life comes at the hands of a really bad financial decision. You know, you leased that or bought that when you had a perfectly good one, you know, in the driveway. You ran up this credit card and then because that one was maxed, you, you ran up another credit card. Or maybe, friends, um, 2020 was really at no fault of your own. 2020 was really rough financially for you. And so now finances and money has become the biggest stressor in your life. And so if God has something to say about money, don't you think it would be good, a good study to find out exactly what God says about money, what his view of money is. I have here in my pocket, actually, um, uh, 
a fairly clean, fairly crisp $100 bill. It actually came from someone who's very generous in our congregation, uh, Gordon, who's actually just off screen. And I'll come back to that $100 bill here in just a second. So here's what I wanna do today, friends, as we launch this series. I just wanna define some terms. I wanna give us a big idea and I wanna hit one principle with you. And this one principle, this first step in terms of generosity and giving, if we do not get this one kind of heart change perspective thing right, we will never get stewardship right. We will never get generosity right if we do not understand and grapple with and answer, come to terms with this one key principle in scripture. Uh, so there are um, 500 verses in the Bible, roughly on prayer. There are nearly 500 verses on faith, but more than 2000 verses on the subject of money. Jesus uh, in the parables, Pastor Aaron talked last week about, about parables. In the some 38 parables that Jesus spoke, by, by the way, remember the parable is a made up story. Jesus makes up a story to make a point. And if you're making up a story, then every detail really counts. Uh, so, so Jesus, out of the some 38 parables, 16 of them, nearly 43%, almost half, deal with resources and money. And so friends, let me just ask you another question, something to consider. If that's the case, let's just stick with the New Testament for a second. If Jesus had so much to say about finances and stewardship and our resources, our money, would it not be an egregious error for us as your pastors not to teach and train and talk about a biblical view of money. And I hope all of us in unison would say, yes, Pastor Brandon, you would not be doing your job if, if you didn't train and teach people what Jesus has to say, what the Bible has to say about money. So if you've taken rooted, some of this is gonna sound familiar to you, but we've added a few layers. I think they're gonna help all of us together as a church. So let's define some terms. If you've been walking with Jesus for a, a long time, these terms are gonna sound familiar. Uh, if not, you're, you're kind of in on uh, you know, the beginning of all of this. The, the first term would be a tithe. The tithe, that word literally means um, 10% or a 10th part actually. One key note about this is as I understand scripture, as I understand scripture today, and there's a lot about the Bible I don't understand that I'm learning. But as I understand it today, I believe that the tithe, when I read about the tithe in scripture, both the, the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament, that needs to belong to the local church. Uh, the local expression. We're all called to, uh, you know, the local expression, the local church of the body of Christ uh, to, to plug in, to love warts and all. And I'm, I'm one of the warts uh, and to give there, to sow our resources into the kingdom of God in that place. So, so that, that's the tie. The second kind of layer, another layer of giving is what you're going to find in scripture is the offering. And so once we've kind of taken care of this baseline, the base chassis of the tithe, uh, we begin to give above and beyond that in, in the realm of what we would call, the Bible would call an offering. Now, I believe personally that that also is to stay in the local church. I don't fight people on it. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna create a doctrine or some theology around it. I just, as I under, again, as I understand scripture today, I believe that that offering uh, needs to stay in the local church. So from time to time, um, you know, we're going along in our consistent, maybe tithing and giving to the Lord, a need arises in the church and God speaks to our heart and we give above and beyond our normal tithe. Here's another layer that you're gonna read in scripture and it would be the alm or alms giving, alms for the poor. 
Uh, it, it's a form of an offering, but it, it's just that. It's designed to go to um, the poor, the destitute, the least, the last, the lost, the outcast. There's another layer that I want to present to you, uh, and that would be the idea of sacrificial giving. We would find this uh, in, in uh, maybe this, there's actually a spiritual gift of giving that's outlined in Romans chapter 12. I don't know if you realize that or not. In fact, some of you have this spiritual gift. You may not even realize it because like all spiritual gifts, it has to be, it's discovered and it's developed. Pastor Brandon, what, give, give me a couple biblical examples of maybe this idea of sacrificial giving. If you look at the Old Testament, David, uh, when he was um, gathering resources for the temple. Uh, th- there are some estimates. Now, I realize going, trying to translate money, economics, thousands and thousands of years into the future, that, that can be a little precarious. But there are some mathematicians, some Bible scholars who would um, evaluate that, value the resources in the billions of dollars, one even upwards of $21 billion in the gold and the silver that went in that sacrifice of God's people and what David did and what he gathered for the temple. Uh, Solomon, his son, when uh, he was crowned king, when he was anointed king, it would be customary to sacrifice a bull. He sacrificed a thousand bulls. It was this, this incredible display of sacrificial giving. I don't know if you've ever known someone who um, has emptied all of their bank accounts and given all of their money, their resources to the Lord. Uh, but this actually happened in Luke 21. Jesus witnessed it. Uh, he was standing, op- the Bible says, opposite the treasury, and he was just watching people put money into the treasury. It would be, it would be like Pastor Aaron standing in our foyer. It'd be kind of weird, but uh, Pastor Aaron maybe standing in our foyer watching people give into the kiosks, the giving kiosks that are mounted to the wall. And the Bible says that Jesus watched this little old lady, this widow, walk up, and she, the Bible says she deposited and it, it gave the amount and it was everything she had. This extravagant sacrificial gift that she gave. And it was, and it took just as much faith, maybe even more than David pouring billions of dollars into the temple. Now, uh, what I want to do, friends, is I want to address this idea of tithing as a biblical principle. So I know that we have, um, we have lots of um, Bible college students, seminarians who attend Cove Church. And I love that because it keeps us honest. We have to be on our toes and we have to make sure that our, our study is accurate. And so for those of you, maybe you're new to the Bible, you're new to the faith, just hang with me here. This may make sense today. Uh, it may make sense later on down the line in your journey with Jesus. But, but I do want to address this. It's, it's really important. Um, let me just say this. For those of you who would say, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, I don't believe that tithing is a, is a New Testament issue. I'll just say this. I, I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, I, I've studied both sides and I understand why, uh, you know, you would say that. I just have some considerations for you m- maybe to think about if you haven't thought about them in a while. Uh, as far as I can, so let me also tip my cards. As far as I can tell from scripture, as I read scripture, I believe tithing to be not just an Old Testament principle or a New Testament principle, but to be a biblical principle. Let me give you a couple of examples as to why I would say that. Matthew 20, or Let's back up to the Old Testament. Genesis 14, 18 and 20. Abraham, the Bible says Abraham gave a tenth part uh, or a tithe to a king named Melchizedek. Brandon, why is that important? That's important because it predates the law where the tithe is outlined, which I believe in that sense, then it covers the arc of the entire Bible, the narrative of the Bible. 
Okay, let's move to the New Testament. Jesus in uh, Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, he had some religious leaders and he challenged them. He said, listen, you pay uh, a tithe. You tithe on um, mint and cumin, these spices, but, but you forsake the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And then he said this, you should have tithed without forsaking these other things that I've called you to as well. In other words, their friends, he called them to tithe. So I, I believe if Jesus was going to slam the brakes on this idea of tithing, well, Pastor Brown, those were Jewish religious leaders. I understand, but if Jesus was going to put the brakes on the idea of tithing, that was a great opportunity to do it. So maybe a couple of considerations for you, especially the more kind of biblically savvy folks out there. Let me ask you a couple of questions just to, just to think about. Just because something is right under the law, does it now make it not right under grace? Let me, let me flip that around. Just because something is wrong in the Old Testament, maybe under the law, does it now make it right under grace? Spend some time considering the implications of those questions. Another thought uh, for you with regard to the tithe. Jesus, um, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, but in many of his teachings, he seemed to take Old Testament principles and not necessarily do away with them but he kind of supercharged them. And you've heard Pastor Aaron talk about this. You've heard me talk about this, other pastors where, so for instance, you know, Jesus said, hey, hey, listen, don't, or you've heard it said, don't commit murder, Old Testament. But I'm telling you, if you even harbor thoughts of hatred, you've actually, in my view, committed that. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed the act already to which all of us under the weight of that new value system, we go, whoa, what do we do now? To be sure, what Jesus was doing is he, he was doing a couple things. Number one, he was moving righteousness from the outside to the inside co That's why he said to some religious leaders in the New Testament, the New Testament, he said, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. In other words, you look great on the outside, but inside you're full of bones and rotten flesh. Jesus was, he's saying, listen, th there's a new day. We're moving uh, this outward righteousness of the Old Testament. See, I, I could live in the Old Testament way of doing things. As long as I look good on the outside, as long as I said the right things about my friend, I could harbor uh, thoughts of bitterness and hatred toward them all day long. And Jesus was saying, that day's over. It actually begins on the inside and moves then to an outward Righteousness. The other thing that he was doing, maybe by way of hyperbole, maybe he was pointing our hearts to the need for grace. How are we going to hold up under that? I'm going to fail over and over and over again if that's the new standard God. And to which Jesus would say, exactly. Now you got it. Exactly. You need me. You need grace. So uh, sometimes when I hear people say, well, I don't, I don't think tithing is a, is a New Testament principle. I'll just say, wow, you, Jesus kind of juiced the Old Testament. So you must, you must, in fact, he said, we just need to give everything, right? Our, our lives, even a living sacrifice. So you must give, you must give it all. Um, that doesn't go over very well. I've only said that to a few people and uh, um, not so much anymore, but you get the point. A couple of things, a couple more things, church, when it comes to the tithe. And then we'll wind down. The tithe is helpful for me practically in a couple of ways. Number one, it gives us a starting point. It gives us a framework. 
Friends, listen, you're, you're going to have your friends, those who, whom you are um, discipling, you're, you're helping them develop in Christ. They're going to come to you at some point because the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart and he will be at some point in their journey um, in this area of their money and generosity and trusting him. And they're going to ask you, help me understand this idea of money. Where, you know, where do I start? What are you going to tell them? Well, I don't think, you know, tithing is a New Testament principle, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> no, I, I love the tithe because it gives us maybe a starting point. I'm not, friends, listen, I'm not religious about it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to manipulate uh, the, the text. I, I just, I like it practically because it's a starting point. That's number one. Number two, it reveals something about our trust level in God. Pastor Aaron's going to talk about that next week. Number three, percentage giving allows everyone to participate. So whether I make a boatload of money, we have all kinds, we have a, a spectrum of income levels at Cove Church. If I make a lot of money, it's still a percentage. If I make just a little bit of money, it's still a percentage. Everyone gets to participate. That's a brilliant move on God's part. Um, maybe last thing I would say about the tithe before we, we, we move on is uh, I believe that as I look at scripture, that the tithe is a form of a test. Pastor Brown, why do you say that? When we look at the number 10, a 10th part or the number 10 in scripture, we find many times there's a test there. Let me, let me illustrate this way. How many plagues were in Egypt? There were 10. So in other words, how many times did God test the heart of Pharaoh? How many commandments are there? In other words, how many times does God test our obedience to him? How many times did God test Israel while they were in the desert? 10 times. How many times did God test Jacob's heart by allowing his wages to be changed by Laban? He said, these 10 times you've changed my wages. How many times was Daniel tested in the first book, the first chapter of Daniel? Well, Pastor Brown, that's all Old Testament. Okay, let's move to the New Testament. In the New Testament, how many virgins in, in Matthew 25 had their preparedness tested? Revelation 2.10 mentions 10 days of testing. Pastor Brown, what's the point? The point is this, friends. I believe that the tithe is the ultimate heart test of the believer. Are we willing to trust God? Do we really believe what we preach and sing about God's faithfulness to us? Can we really trust him? Here's something else interesting about this idea of a test. I think, as I understand scripture, I think this would be the only heart test that God flips around. He says, you can actually test me on this. You actually take care of this and see if I did not open up the windows of heaven and pour down in you blessings that it's going to be hard for you to even contain. We find that in Malachi chapter three. Okay. Friends, I want to wind down. I want to give us a big idea and I want to hit one principle that if we will get this one principle right, I believe that we will enjoy a life of generosity. Giving requires a heart change. There's a heart change that has to happen and, and it's found in, in one key area. So I want to look at a, a, a parable by Jesus. This is uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the setup. I'm going to narrate a portion of the scripture and you can kind of follow along just to see if I'm telling you the truth. And then I'll read what, um, what Jesus said at the end. So again, remember a parable is a made up story. Jesus is making up a story to make a point. Um, with this parable in particular, as with several parables, there are many layers to them. Uh, we're not gonna get to all the layers, but there are some things that are knowable. So Jesus said this, he said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. 
He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So friends, this, in this made up story that Jesus is telling, this, this master, this owner is, is going on a trip, lines up three servants, five bags of silver to one, two bags, and then one bag. He then returns. There's a day of reckoning. There's an accounting. He says, all right, everyone line up. I want to see how you did. And the five bag of silver servant stepped forward. And he said, listen, uh, master, you, you gave me five bags of silver and I went out and I invested. I didn't do everything right, but I've gained five more bags of silver. Here they're yours. And, and Jesus said in, in the story, he said, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little bit. I'm going to give, I'm going to entrust you with more responsibility and we're going to celebrate together. The two bag of silver servant steps up and he says, master, listen, you gave me two bags. He said the same thing. You gave me two bags. I went out and I, I invested. I was the best steward I could be here. Are, I've gained two more. Here they are. And the master said the same thing. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with just a little bit. I'm going to entrust you with more, more responsibility and we're going to celebrate together. And then he comes to the third servant, the one bag of silver servant, uh, who's obviously going to say the same thing. He actually doesn't. He said, you know what, master, you, I, I've known you to be a harsh man. And, you know, you, you reap where you don't sow. And, and um, I, I was fearful. And I, and I took this bag of silver and I went out and I buried it to protect it. And, and then I dug it up when I heard you were coming back and he dusted it off. He said, here, here's your bag of silver back. And I want you to listen to the response of the master. He says uh, in verse 26, but the master replied, you, <laughs> you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Now, I want to unpack a couple of things. Let me ask you uh, just a couple of questions. Uh, this is a little bit of a test, but there's no trick questions. In, in this parable, who would you probably say the man is going on a journey? Prob probably God. And who would the servants be? It's probably a safe bet that we could say the servants are us. And so who do the servants belong to? Who does the money belong to? God. Both the money and the servants, and herein lies the cornerstone, I believe, church, of generosity. And it's this. It's ownership. It's ownership. Who owns it all? And so here's our big idea. If we do not get ownership right, we cannot get stewardship right. If we, Cove Church, if we do not get ownership correct, we will never get generosity correct. And the reality is we're all born with ownership confusion, aren't we? Right? This is one word, mine, that we do not need to teach our kids. We don't have to show them the, the movie Finding Nemo. They just, how many parents have been through this with their kids? They're playing on the floor. They have a play date. You know, Johnny or Susie comes over and, and their guest grabs one of their toys. And within seconds, promptly, our beautiful son or daughter walks up and rips it out of their hand and says what? It's mine, right? It's mine. It just comes out of their their darkened little soul. We're all born with ownership confusion. And the problem is many times we can carry this over into our adulthood. And any thinking that we adapt as a child without maturity can become maladaptive thinking as an adult. We think maybe that we've given of our time and our talent and our treasure, we're actually giving something back to God that was ours. And the reality is we're bringing back to God something that was his to begin with. 
Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, the Bible says. And friends, when we see that God is the owner, we can better understand God's perspective on all of money. If you look back at our parable, the way the master replied to the servants who were faithful, he said, listen, that was just a little bit. Great job. Well, what is a little bit? Now, I want to try to translate this money into kind of 2021 figures. And I realize we're, we're trying to go back a couple thousand years. And um, some of you, you know, already have your calculators out and, and you understand, you know, troy ounce and, and biblical weights and scales, and all that kind of stuff. I just there are some estimates that what Jesus was talking about here, again, made up story. He picked the amounts, a made up story. This would be 20 years of average income, 20 years of average income. And he said to the five talent, five bag of silver servant. And Jesus said that the master replied to him and said, that's just a little bit. That's just a little, you were faithful with just a little bit. God's perspective on money. So many times, friends, I've, to my embarrassment. Over the years, I've been impressed with the amount. I've been impressed with the amount. I, I've, I've told stories before that I've actually, I've, I've labored long enough in the church, I've pastored long enough where I've actually held seven digit tithe checks. And I was so impressed with that. But the older I get, the more I follow Jesus and I understand his heart, the less and less impressed I become. Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't care about the amount. I believe that some of those seven digit um, checks that were written, that, that the same heart of God would come along and say, oh, great job. That's just a tiny, a tiny little amount. You were faithful with that. Now we get to celebrate together and go do more. Why? Because God isn't after the amount. He's after our heart. Remember I said earlier, God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. He's really after our heart. Matthew 6 says this, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so here's what God does. He goes through our treasure to get our heart. Look at God's perspective here. The Bible says back to our uh, parable of the one bag of silver servant. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid. His perspective was broken. And generosity starts with and is driven by our view of God. To understand how we see God first, friends, take a look at your money. I had an old wise pastor. His, his, this saying of his, he said it all the time, honestly, and it, it just sticks with me. And it's this, Brandon, if you ever want to know someone's values, their priorities, and especially how they view God, just, just open up two things. Open up their calendar and open up their checkbook. Friends, just, just open up your checkbook. And then answer this question, answer it honestly. How do I view God? How do I see God? A couple of things, Cove Church, that actually war against generosity. And they both begin with D, they're easy to remember then. Debt and discontentment, debt. Debt, overwhelming debt, church, is a, um, I'm gonna call it, a, a, it's, a, it's an evil that weighs on us. Why? Because we, we, we almost become like this slave to the debt, servicing the debt, it's the opposite of freedom in other words. But there's hope. And I, and I wanna let you know, I've said this before Cove Church, I wanna say it again, 
You can get out of debt. You can. Um, one of the things that Dave Ramsey teaches is uh, the, the debt snowball. In fact, if you can't afford his book, just go to the bookstore. I think it's on page 90 and 91, maybe 92, a couple of pages. And you can act like you're reading it, maybe you want to buy it, but um, just, just read about the debt snowball. I think it's chapter eight. See, I'm giving you chapter and text where it's at. Just read the debt snowball, maybe even take a picture, put the book back on the shelf, go get out of debt. And then when you're out of debt, go back and buy the book and maybe buy one for a friend or your kids. You can get out of debt. The debt snowball. It's one that I've used in my life, Joy and I. Second thing is discontentment. This, is all, this also comes from Dave Ramsey. It's not really original to him, but he would say the number one principle in money management is the idea of learning to be content. He said this in his children's book on financial peace university. He said this, so content people may not have the best of everything, but they make the best of everything. And then he said this, that is who you want your children to be. The apostle Paul maybe says it best in Philippians chapter four, he's in prison. And from the message, I love it in the message, it says this, actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally to which all of us would say, wait, wait hold, hold on, Paul, you're in prison. Of course you need something. He said, no, no, I, I, don't have a, I don't have any sense that I need anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances, I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full, hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. The apostle Paul learned, learned to be content. Contentment is a learned state of being, church. I mentioned this $100 bill. Uh, what's interesting is Gordon gave that to me uh, willingly. And um, he is generous, but I think one of the reasons that he turned it over so quickly is it actually wasn't his $100 bill. It was my $100 bill that I asked him to watch over and to hold on to. Well, Pastor Brandon, that, that illustration breaks. I get it. I know the illustration breaks down. What I'm trying to remind us of, friends, is the idea of ownership. If we do not get ownership right, we will never get generosity and stewardship right. So what's our invitation to you today? Uh, I think a couple of groups of people in the room. Number one, for those not really convinced yet, but maybe convicted, uh, I would just have you ask yourself a few questions. Number one, who really owns my resources? Who, who you know, who gave you the hands and the, and the brains and the intellect and the skill to create your greatest, Dave Ramsey would say, your greatest asset, your paycheck? Who owns my resources? How do I, how do I view God? Number three, do I really think God needs my money or does he actually desire something for me? Maybe a second group of people. For those ready to cross the line, begin your journey of generosity. Like this is the year, 2021 is the year. Uh, I'm burning the ships, I'm not going back. We would say this, regular and proportionate. Regular and proportionate. Brandon, what do you mean by that? Regular, jump in, start somewhere and be consistent. Not here and there, but regularly give to the Lord and you are gonna watch your trust level and your faith level, level and your journey with Jesus flourish. Proportionate. Some of you, you're gonna jump right in and it's 10% right off the bat. You're never looking back and you're gonna increase it maybe every year. For some, you need to start with a different percentage or a different proportion. 
whatever it is, be regular with that and proportionate. Figure out some sort of uh, proportion that you can give to the Lord and begin to grow from there. In other words, friends, start and shift your weight. There's a story. I'll end with a story. 1974, uh, this crazy French tightrope walker uh, named Philippe Petit. Uh, this was captured in a movie called Man on a Wire. He strung a cable famously between the then standing World Trade Centers. 1,500 feet in the air, 50 foot cable between this 50 foot span between the buildings. And some of, some of the photography, some of the, the images of him um, walking on this, this tightrope are, are um, amazing. One of the most amazing pictures to me is, is this one on the screen where he, he looks down and he looks at his foot that's on the wire. And he said, I, I had one foot on the wire and one foot on, on the building, <clears throat> back on the building where the wire was tied off. And all of my weight was on my back foot. And I had to go through this mental exercise where I had to make the decision to shift my weight. And he did, he shifted his weight and he was out on that wire friends for some 40 minutes. And it wasn't because it took him 40 minutes to walk 50 feet, it was because he was having a ball. He was having a blast, it was fun, it was exhilarating. My encouragement to you, Cove Church, my encouragement to you is shift your weight. If you've had all in terms of generosity and giving, maybe because of fear, maybe because of, of, a, of a bad taste in your mouth from a previous church experience, you've had all your weight on the back foot, I would encourage you to shift your weight. And I really believe what you're gonna find is joy and ex exhilaration in this realm of generosity and giving. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Uh, Thank you for this invitation to trust you in our giving. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, Lord, for us to peel off a portion of our income. Uh, there, 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 there's a lot. I mean, I could make a list, a long list of things that um, not only would I rather do with that money, but that I, I really need to do or could do. I, I, I get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense until we apprehend who owns it all, till we apprehend your invitation and that you are working to conform us into your image as a giver, as a generous one, and to help us take steps forward in our trust level with you and, and to see you as a provider to learn to trust you as our provider that you come through again and again and again and again. Would you help us as Cove Church collectively, as a family? I, I ask that you would put your hand on us and don't let us go until we're conformed more and more into your image as a giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, Cove Church.